All right. I think we're all on. We're good to go. Cool. Good morning. How are we all doing? Yeah? All right. All right. I'm, I'm glad we're doing good. That's good. And thanks for partnering with bite to go And like was said last week, I think it's our sixth year, our sixth school year that we're doing this. So uh, it's been a cool partnership just over the years. And um, it's really, I think, gained a lot of good relational currency with just our church and the community and just with people at Betts Elementary. And it's just good to always represent Jesus in the ways that we can. So thanks for, for doing that and just giving of that. So, all right, well, let me ask you a question. We are halfway through August. It's hot. It's smoky, right? We can all look outside and say, yeah, it's not great. Are you ready for a Thanksgiving meal? Yes. Are you ready for two Thanksgiving meals? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what's going to happen this this morning. We are in Romans 13 and Romans 14. There is a lot there. There's a lot of good meat, a lot of good, you know, potatoes, stuffing, a lot of good pumpkin pie. There's a lot of good stuff in these chapters. But here's the deal, is when you go to, like, somebody's, you know, food party or maybe it's a Thanksgiving party, sometimes the choice of plate matters, right? Like you either get the big like platter plates, you're like, oh, I can load this thing up. Like I can get everything. Or else they have like the little tiny, like, I don't even know what they're called, like saucer plates, salad plates or dessert plates. And you're like, I have to fit my whole meal on this? Yeah, I'm just going to stack it up, right? (laughs) Well, this morning we kind of have a smaller saucer plate. And we're going to go through a massive line of amazing Thanksgiving food. And we're going to take some, some things from it. We're not going to get to everything discussed in Romans chapter 13 and Romans chapter 14. But I believe we're going to get a good meal. I believe we're going to get something that's going to fill us up, um, challenge us. Just like after Thanksgiving, you're like, I'm challenged. <laughs> like you're sitting on the couch, right? But we're going to, I think, have enough here to really sustain us into want us to come back for more. I think that's the the key during this whole time of this Roman study is that we're also on our own reading God's word, that we're reading through this study time, that we're discussing this with other people that are in our lives so that we're having good dialogue on this. It's not just staying here for the 35 or 40 minutes that we have to discuss the chapter that we're discussing, but that we're doing this throughout the week and just with the people that we have relationship with. So Buckle in, because we're going to have a massive Thanksgiving meal, and we're going to pile it up. And I think it's going to be what we need for this certain cultural context that we're living in, that we find ourselves in. Um, So it's going to be good. Well, I want to just give us a couple of quick context reminders for where we're at in this letter that Paul is writing to the church in Rome. Um, Last week, Taylor did an amazing job um, kind of talking through this hinge point in Paul's letter. So chapters like 1 through 11... It's all about the simple gospel. It's all about who Jesus is, Jesus crucified, risen to set us free. And then it just kind of hinges right in chapter 12 to like, well, how do we live this out in our different contexts that we find ourselves in as humans and as as a church and with government and with friends and with people. And so Taylor did a great job in just kind of leading us in that. And if you didn't have a chance to see last week's message, I would really, really encourage you to do so um, through our YouTube channel and all those things. So we're going to be in this area of talking about government and also talking about like how do we interact with each other if we have different preferences in things that are like non-sin issues but still cause enough 
like strife, that we can be critical of one another and kind of have some issues. So we're going to talk through these things. And something I think is a good reminder, I've mentioned this a couple of times before, is yes, as Christ followers, we are saved, we are new creations. But what's true is we still carry some familial traits of who we once were. Yes, we are a new creation, and Christ is sanctifying through the Holy Spirit of who we are, but there's still some things of our past that are like lingering, maybe some selfish motives, or maybe some, some different ways of thinking that can kind of muddy the waters a little bit. And so we're going to talk through that um, in, 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 today's, in today's conversation. So again, Romans chapter 13 and 14, and um, like we would for a Thanksgiving meal, let's pray before we dive in. Sound good? All right. Well, Lord Jesus, uh, we just are so humble and are thankful, Lord, that, that you have saved us, like we've read in all these chapters in, in, in the book of Romans, that, man, it's about Jesus, it's because of Jesus that we are saved. And so we just say thank you for that, and we just respond out of that, Lord. And, um, and God, through your Holy Spirit, um, just open our hearts and our minds to receive from your word this morning, um, that we would be challenged, that we would be equipped, that we would be encouraged. Um, as we leave this building and go outwardly in the context that you have placed us in, Lord, in the different roles that we live. And so, God, we give you thanks and praise. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, I'm going to also back us up a little bit, back into Romans chapter 12. Um, I think what's always a good reminder is these letters, back in the day, were not sectioned out in like chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. It was just one long scroll. And the early church would just read it out and just like from top to bottom. So they kind of always had a, a context understanding of what's happening. So I'm going to go to Romans chapter 12, starting in verses uh, 19 through 21. I believe we'll have the scriptures um, here behind me as well. So this is what it's being said. Um, Paul to the church in Rome. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Now, Paul is talking about some things that are like enemies and evil, kind of like this language of like, hey, there's things that are against you or against God, but just remember that God's going to have ultimate justice, even in the, in the areas that we desire to be avenged like that, like right away. He's like, hey, God will get ultimate justice. Now, what's the first example that he just goes right into to talk about this? The government. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, they're so evil, they're so bad. But let's, let's just hear what he has to say right here, Romans 13.1, the next sentence. He says, everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Wait, Paul, my brother, my dude, what, what are you saying? Like, what are you talking about? Like, do you know what the government is doing, especially right now in this cultural context? The church in Rome's like, have you looked outside and seen like people being murdered from the government? Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I, I totally know. Let me, let me just repeat what I just said to you five sentences earlier. And they're like, okay, so let's, let's do that ourselves. Let's go back to Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21. Dear friends, never take revenge. 
Leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies, maybe in this case, the government, is hungry, like the workers, the soldiers, the people who are like being mean to your friends, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their Roman soldier helmets. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And again, everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Now, this is a very political statement that Paul is making there in verse 1 of chapter 13. Um, Within this Roman culture, it's huge. I think you can kind of see the first half of it. Uh, Caesar's probably like, oh, yeah, like, honor and submit to the government. Like, I'm Caesar, that's right. But then, like, in the same breath, Paul is saying, actually, Caesar, you're not an ultimate authority. Like, ultimate authority is the Lord. Like, he is way above way above what you think. You are smaller than the God of all gods. And you've actually, Caesar, been placed there with the intent to do good purposes. That's the intent. Now, it begs the question, do humans do good intent all the time? Not necessarily, right? There's always the intent, but then the reality couldn't be different from the intent. And so this statement would obviously infuriate the Roman culture of this time of like, wait, you're saying that we're not the ultimate, ultimate authority? And Paul's like, no, but we're going we're gonna to honor you. We're going to show you love. We're going to show you respect. Paul is not saying, hail Caesar. Paul is saying, hail King Jesus, the one who was crucified for our sins and raised from the grave to set us free. And so in the response of this truth of what Christ has done in our life, he's saying, we got to love God. We got to love people. And loving people also includes those who are not nice, who are not kind, and are doing things with sometimes intent to be mean to us as Christ followers. You could maybe insert, in this case, the government like he's talking about. But as people who love God and love others, we are going to rise above and declare Christ as king, and we're going to still honor people in positions of authority because God has placed them there ultimately to do good. Like I said, does do people do good all the time? No. Did God place them there? Yes. Yes. So this is a question that came up a few weeks ago in um, the small group of, of guys that we meet up once a week and talk through the book of Romans. And this was the question, does God put people in positions of authority that will enact laws that go directly against his goodness and his purposes? That's kind of like this philosophical question. The answer you probably won't like is yes and no. <laughs> It's a both and. And I want to just do a quick little history lesson, theologically from the Old Testament, to bring us to this place of understanding that I feel also Paul is living from. Paul was a Pharisee, right? He is now a Christ follower, but his background was Old Testament theology, Old Testament law. He knows a lot about who God is. He knows all of the scriptures, all the stories. Now, he's also like, hey, I'm saved by grace, through faith, like in Christ Jesus, there's now a big difference, but God is still God. God does not change from who he was in the Old Testament. And so Paul understands this. I believe he's having this framework kind of make his decision. So we go to the Old Testament before the time of David and Goliath. That's kind of like the time period that we would be in, right? 
The nation of Israel was led by prophets and judges, appointed by God to judge the people and point them back always to the covenant laws that God established for fruitful and flourishing, for fruitful living to be flourishing in the promised land. The judges would say, hey, you guys are not following your end of the bargain. Like, let's get back to it. And there'd be this kind of vicious cycle time and time again. Israel hated this method. They wanted to be like the world, and they wanted to have a king. They wanted to have a, a person that they wanted to lead them, not necessarily God. And it kind of, I feel like, in a way, Romans 12, 2 as Paul wrote earlier, this is now forward again to where Paul is currently at. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. I think he's thinking back to like the Israelites in the Old Testament of like, they wanted to be just like the world and that did not bode well for them at all. So I think he inserts Romans 12, 2 in there of like, hey, don't fall into that trap. <laughs> the Israelites just got burned, man. Like our, our nation fell apart. But Israel, now back in the history moment, they wanted to be like the rest of the world. They wanted to be like, in their eyes, the cool kids. And so I want to go to 1 Samuel chapter 8, and I'm going to read a fair amount of Scripture here because I think it brings a good context. I'm just kind of like blaze right through it. And so 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting in verse 4 through verse 22. This is what it says. Finally, this is in the context of, of Samuel is getting old, um, and the nation of Israel is kind of in this weird kind of position of things aren't quite working out a little bit. It says, finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old, says Samuel, who was a prophet of God, and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other, all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Verse six right there, I think that's a huge learning point just in general. When we're displeased with things in life, let's go to the Lord. <laughs> let's not go to social media or this or that. Like, let's go to the Lord for guidance. Now, verse seven, do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. Verse 10, so Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who were asking him for a king. This is how a king will reign over you, Samuel said. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow in his fields and harvest his crops. And some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force him to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves, demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves. When that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding. But then the Lord will not help you. He just described like not a great picture. He's like, there's a lot of potential fallout when you have man leading you in this circumstance. Verse 19, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. And they said, even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. Verse 21, so Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord replied, do as they say and give them a king. 
And Samuel agreed and sent the people home. Now, let's fast forward back to our context of Romans chapter 13, where we're at. We are essentially living what we want. And especially what Paul is preaching to, to the, to the Jewish Christians in the Roman church, he's like, man, like you're kind of living with what you wanted way back when. There's going to be these natural fallout consequences that occur. When we vote for people, we're going to live with some outcomes that are probably not going to be great. Humans are not perfect. Mistakes will be made. God is perfect. He leads perfect, but we didn't want that. Israel made it very, very clear. We don't, we don't care about that. We want to be like the other nations. Now, I'd say, even in the best of light, King David, he was like the second king of Israel, the standard, the gold standard, a man after God's own heart, was amazing. Everybody always talks about King David as the ultimate king. At the end of his own reign, when you think he has maturity about them, about him, good, sound judgment, he makes a horrible, horrible personal judgment that the Lord punishes the rest of the nation for, and 70,000 people are killed like that because he went in his own selfish way, in his own selfish motive. This is the dude who's like a man after God's own heart, like the standard, but he still made mistakes. And so in the continual story of Israel, things get so bad with human leadership that God eventually steps in. How does he step in? It? How, how does he step in? He uses a pagan, ungodly government structure, the Babylonians, to come in and completely remove Israel out of the promised land. I think from here, we can ask the question, does God use sinful institutions to do as well? Yeah. He works in all ways to accomplish his overarching purposes in this. And during this Babylonian captivity, Daniel, the book of Daniel, he writes multiple times during this that this is God's plan. This is a part of God's purposes that this horrible government is coming in and changing things. And we're just recipients of God's judgment during this time. Now, did, God, did Daniel just blindly submit to the government and say, hail Babylonian leaders? No, he did not. But he recognized that God was working in the bigger picture and that he was over it all. He still honored he still trusted the process. So we, drop, we jump back to Romans chapter 13. I believe we have to ask ourselves a simple question in this process with our relation to government. And it's an open-ended question, and it can go a lot of ways. But it's just simply this. Do we trust God? Do we trust God in these contexts, in these circumstances? Do I trust God with the big picture that he will have justice in all things? Do I trust that we have or I have been placed in this current context for a certain purpose. If we go back to Daniel, he was like, I'm here for a reason, for a purpose, and I'm going to use that to honor the Lord. I'm going to gain relational currency with this horrible government structure that we're living in, but I'm also going to still, number one, love God as my first and foremost and love people in the process. See, the government does not change that we love God and love others. Might make it difficult, might make it uncomfortable, but we still center on what even Paul says, and that's Jesus crucified and risen to set us free. That is the simple gospel that we always major on. If we love, when we love God, we will stay focused on the big picture. 
And again, loving others means we still respect people and honor those in authority. And I also want to say it's not just in the government. There's people in authority in our own jobs that we, man, that boss that I have, I just don't like them. They are mean. We're called to honor them. We're called to respect them. doesn't mean that we can just roll over and just get worked over. There's ways to be honorable in our disagreements. There's ways to be honorable in making changes. I would say in our current context, Jay Inslee and I probably agree on like two things. One of them is like the ocean is salty. Like, yeah, we agree on that, right? It's hard sometimes to maybe respect some of the leadership that he carries out, but scripture is very clear on what my role is to do. I'm called to pray for him and called to bless him. I want to put up Romans 12, 14. It says this, bless those who persecute you. I don't particularly think that we're being persecuted like the early church was, but bless those who make things uncomfortable, who make things not in your favor. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. That's a heavy verse right there. And I think even right now in this moment, I want to take an intentional minute for us to pray as a church body for those in authority. And it might be the government structure, like our governor or our president or whatever it is, somebody that's in authority that you're just not jiving with, but the scripture is calling you to pray for them. It might be a boss. It might be a landlord. It might, whatever it might be. I want to take a little minute to just pray for them. I'm going to open us up in prayer. Then I'm just going to back off and be silent for like a minute. I want to give you the opportunity to pray in your own space for those people that are in your life, that have authority in your life, that are just not seeing eye to eye. I want you to pray a prayer of blessing over them. Lord Jesus, right now, um, I come before you in humility and and know that in, in loving you means I love others because you have first loved us. And I can do that not from my own strength, but from your Holy Spirit. And so Holy Spirit, empower me through your gifting to just love well and to, to love those that I'm not in agreement with, Lord, and to love those who have hurt me or love those who have um, just made things difficult, Lord. Um, and I pray a blessing over them. I, I pray right now a blessing over our governor, Jay Inslee. I don't know what that blessing means, but I'm just gonna pray a blessing that you would bless him exactly what he needs and how he needs it and that he would recognize, Lord, that you're at work in his life. Um, So God, I just pray a blessing over him and over other government leaders that um, I just do not agree with, Lord. And so I just pray a blessing over them. Praise in your name. Amen. Amen. So now in this talk about government, what about when the government oversteps? And I think this last year and a half, we've had a lot of these conversations um, in society, in the church, and all those things. And we've done a really good job in um, having these conversations in a really good avenue. And that's on social media. It's just really helpful and fruitful. That's a joke. And when, yeah, sorry. <laughs> 
Um, but seriously, this last year and a half, there was a lot of hard conversations, and I don't think we did them the best justice because they were over social media. It became a firestorm of things, and you might not be on social media. Um, amen to that. <laughs> um, and so I want to just say, hey, like, I think we have another season of probably some more hard conversations. Let's learn from last season, from last year. Let's not go there in that area. Um, it really doesn't help anybody in those things. But the question, what about when the government oversteps? So we have uh, Romans 13.1, like submit to the government, but what about when the government is truly against what you are doing? There's two key verses, even in the New Testament, Acts 4.19 and Acts 5.29. This is the early church leading out and doing the things of Jesus, like Peter. And they blatantly say, like, hey, we can't submit to what you want from us. We cannot stop talking about Jesus and what he has done in our lives. We just can't. And the authorities are like, well, you have to because you just have to. And they're like, sorry, we're not going to submit to that at all. They cannot stop from declaring the name of Jesus or doing something in direct violation of God's law and God's ordained law. So right there, you don't have to submit to those things. Now, because you're not going to submit to them doesn't mean you get a jail out of free or a, a free out of jail card. That is not what it's supposed to be saying. <laughs> get out of jail free card. There you go. This, the dyslexia just kicked in full on right there. Um, there's going to be some outcomes that might happen, right? If you don't submit to the government, it's not like you just say, "Well, I'm a Christian, so you can't bother me." No, you might get some kickback. You might get fined. You might get, you know, removed from a certain position. You might get fired. I think the early church was probably thinking along the lines of, I might die. I might get beaten half to death. I might get thrown in jail with no food or water. Like, that was their context, right? So there might be some just natural outcomes if you don't submit to it. But that's where you have to be led by the Holy Spirit in those things and saying like, hey, in my context, am I, should I do this? What are the potential fallouts from this? I think what we see in the book of Acts is the early church said, hey, we are all in for Jesus. We are not going to stop declaring who Jesus is. Here at CFC this last year and a half, we held to a few core convictions during this crazy time of COVID. One of them was submitting to the government during this time. We didn't gather for over two months in person. Then when we did, we followed guidelines of capacity limits and face masks it was really rough waters, to be honest with you. Um, but this is where we saw the Lord leading us during this time, where we, as a pastoral staff and as a, as a greater staff, had lots and lots of long conversations and prayer times to, to come to this, to this place. And this is where we were. It wasn't our preference, honestly. But as we just were led by the Holy Spirit, that's how we landed. It was just to center on those areas. This last May, um, just a few months ago, we made some adjustments to that submitting to the governing authorities above us because the guidelines and requirements that, that we saw just didn't align to bring true church harmony and unity. It really was centering on some conversations about vaccinations and things like that. And there was some theological stuff that we were having a hard time wrestling with. So we didn't follow the exact guidelines that the government was issuing. And so we would, in a sense, be out of line with submitting to the government in that time. And that's where we felt the Lord was leading us and to bring as much unity as we can as we continue to center on the major things of what God was doing within this church. Now, there was hard conversations in that whole last year and a half, and there was 
lots of fallout, to be honest with you. And there was also some other things that like people started coming to our church. It was a weird shuffle. And I kind of call it the great church shuffle of the 21st century. Like literally churches around the nation just were like, people were hopping from place to place because you said this one little thing about this or this or this. And it was like, man, and I do want to say like, even right now, like looking out in this and knowing people who are on the live stream, like I want to say thank you, everyone, for just sticking through that hard time. I'll probably get a little emotional because there was some things that were said that were like, that sucks. Like we're human. <laughs> we're just normal people, you know, and stuff. And, but there's also people that said, hey, I don't agree with everything, but what I do agree is you guys are being led by the Spirit, so we're going to just go with that. It's like, thank you, you know, like we're, we're being led by the Holy Spirit and trying to decipher these things as best as we can, and so sometimes it's not what we wish it was, and that's okay. So I want to say thank you for those who had those conversations with us and, and really had the, the heart to just see the bigger picture in it, because um, we might be coming into another hard season of, of things um, upcoming, so um, I want you to know that, like, as a pastoral staff, like, we're not just willy-nilly in these things. Like, we are taking time to truly just in prayer and in talking with others and finding wise counsel to make a good, healthy decision that aligns biblically and, and doesn't violate what we feel like we can and cannot do as Christ followers and declaring the name of Jesus. So I'll just put an end cap there in that. So with this whole time, different requirements, different guidelines. There was now some preference things that were happening. I feel like this leads us right well into the conversation of Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, what Paul brings us into is, hey, there's going to be some issues, non-sin issues that are about preference that you guys are being critical of each other in. And that's not okay. And he really centers the church back onto the heart of what it means to maybe not have the same opinion as, as somebody, but to major on the big things, and that's Jesus, and to love God and to love others. So I want to go right into Romans 14, chapter, or Romans chapter 14, verse 1. And Paul says this, Accept other believers who are weak in faith, and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. It's a good way of putting it, right? Well, I want to read that same verse, but from another translation. Something that I found in my own study is it's healthy to get other translations to just kind of freshen up um, what you're doing in your own devotional times. This is the message translation. I would not recommend this for study, okay? I want to make that clear. This is like a paraphrase of what God has spoke, but it really sometimes brings things into a different view and a different light. So I want to read the same verse. This is verse one, but it's a lot longer because Eugene Peterson, who wrote this, who's a deeply theological person, just added some great ways of saying that one verse. It says this, Romans 14, one. Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they say or do something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions, but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. It's pretty good, right? Like when I read through that, I'm like, whew, like that kind of puts you back in your seat a little bit. I'm like, okay, like get off my high horse, basically, and let's start actually treating people with love and respect. 
So what Paul is talking about now in this context of chapter 14 is certain foods and certain days that some people in the church were saying, hey, these are off limits, or this is the best holy day, this is the this, this is that. It's really preferential in this time. Remember, there's Jewish Christians, there's Gentile Christians. They're starting to bring in some of their familial traits back into the church. But Paul already spent 11 chapters saying it's not about those things. Remember that, people. It's about Christ crucified and risen to set us free. Let's really major on who Jesus is. So in talking about this in chapter 14, he's not saying like they're right or they're wrong. He's saying, hey, in these non-sin issues, in these preferential things, it's about your heart. And if there's people who are weaker in their faith and their understanding, treat them gently. Like, don't just be like, oh my gosh, like you would think that way? Like, ah! And just start to make this huge statement and then just make it a deal. Paul's like, no, 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 that's not what this is about, right? He already spent the entire letter putting people back in the context of it's about Jesus. Now, if it was about sin issues, Paul would have made it very, very clear that these food things and this certain day was a sin issue. He would write out, say, he's done that in multiple other letters of his. He's not afraid to tell you how it is. He'll be very point blank. He doesn't do that there. He talks about your conscience and like, hey, you might be settled in this thing and that's okay, like live that out. Now, I wanna say one thing to this. This can be abused a lot in the church. You're like, well, my conscience is clear, man. Like, I'm good, I'm not in sin. You're like, let's talk about this because in the Bible, there can be very clear directives about issues. Let's just take movies, for instance, or TV shows. You're like, yo, like, this does not affect me. And it's like, whoa, like this show or this, this movie has very explicit sex scenes. The language in it is not God-honoring. And like the outcomes only lead you to want to celebrate evil. Like, that's not great, man. Like at all. Like those are very like things that are directive in Scripture, that we should flee from all sexual immorality, that we should not let our hearts and our minds go down those unhealthy roads. Like it's very, very clear. So if you're saying like your conscience is clear, like let's talk about your conscience, man, because woo. Uh, there's a whole other conversation to be had. So what Paul is saying, though, in these preferential nonsense issues, like, let the Holy Spirit lead out in what's best for you in your context. Maybe what's best for you and your family. So what's clear, too, earlier in this letter, Romans chapter 8, Paul really centers on, like, you have been given the Holy Spirit to lead you. Let the Holy Spirit lead you in all things. To not be led by your selfish desires, but to be led by the Holy Spirit. And so in this thing, he's just basically centering on that again. Like, hey, let the Holy Spirit lead out in these little preferences, these little things that are not a big deal in the grand scheme of life. Don't let them become a big deal. And I believe Paul does not want to go back to his pharisaical roots that he was so embedded in. He's been saved out of that. He's free from Christ. So he's showing the church, like, you can have flexibility in the gray areas. But here's our next point. In the gray areas of the Christian life, be loving, be gracious, and be self-aware. Those things take the Holy Spirit. It's an everyday thing. Holy Spirit, help me to be loving. Help me to be gracious. And to be self-aware of what I'm doing and what I'm saying and how I'm living my life. Our job is to not condemn 
or to overshare our deeply held convictions about how we believe a person is wrong for holding a certain conviction on a non-sin issue. When a person wears a certain piece of fabric, we view them with emotions that might make us conflicted, confused, or frustrated. We need to check our hearts. Not talking about face masks, I'm talking about Pastor Mark's 49ers gear. <laughs> yeah. But, but no, like joking aside, one of the biggest divisions in the American church, really in the last century, was not theological in nature. It was a three inch by a five inch piece of fabric that went over your face. And that was really hard to see, like in our church history of like, wow, that's what really changed things was a piece of fabric. That's what happened. And I think it's on us to maybe live that out differently in these next seasons of life. And I think what Paul is saying is true. So I want to go to Romans 14, verses 17 through 20. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink. It's not a matter of if you're pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine, pro-mask, anti-vask, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Verse 20, don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. That's huge. So my next point is this. Are we fulfilling our obligation to love? That comes out of Romans 13, 8, which was said in the chapter before. And again, we're not going to hit every single verse that's awesome in Romans 13 to 14. Um, but in Romans 13, 8, Paul says, don't owe anything to anybody except for love. So are we fulfilling our obligation to love people well? Especially in these gray areas, in these preferential areas. So like I said before, I think we're going to come into another season where there's going to be opportunities to live these things out. We're all going to have different contexts that makes sense for our family or us, or our workplace, or whatever it might be. So we're going to trust that we're all being led by the Holy Spirit in this process, that we're living a life of goodness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Again, as pastors, we're human. We're not perfect. Our aim is to shepherd the people God has called us to with wisdom and love. There's truly, it's, it's, a, it's a God-sized vision, right? Church is but we're people, and so we need the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. We're going to fail along the way, but that's where there's forgiveness and grace and love in the whole process. Romans 14, 22 to 23. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning. If you go ahead and do it, for you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Essentially, like, be true to what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do for you and your family. And be good with that, right? And everybody else, respect that. Be good with that as well. Be like, all right, they're being led by the Holy Spirit and what is making sense for them and their family. When it comes to another year of hard decisions for you and your family, I'm not going to care about what your conclusions are about this news outlet or that or this stat or this research, research project or whatever, like, 
I, I won't care about what your convictions or like what you've come to your conclusions with. Here's what I will care about. I'm gonna put a little list and I think it's already up there. Yeah. Are you aiming for harmony in the church? Is your life marked by goodness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit? Are you living out the Spirit in your own life? Are you keeping your deeply held beliefs between you and God? Are you pursuing love? Are you majoring on the simple gospel? I think this is what Paul is trying to bring the people of Rome, the church of Rome, back to. He's not about saying, like, this group is right, this group is wrong, and they have this much research behind it or this, and they have this type of tradition and all that stuff. He's like, no, man, like, let's aim for harmony in the church. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and be marked by goodness, joy, and love and peace. Let's major on the simple gospel of Jesus crucified and risen to set us free. Now, I know by going through all this and giving a sermon, it's easier said than done. Like, we've all experienced the last year and a half. It was hard and difficult. But I truly believe what Paul is saying is like, lead out in the Holy Spirit. Love God and love people from the position of response that we have been saved by faith through who Jesus is. Again, we are humans living out a God-sized vision. We're going to mess up. We're going to say things to people that we wish we wouldn't have said. Man, there is so much forgiveness in who Jesus is. And we got to live that out in this process of bringing others to know him and to live for him daily. Let's pray. Lord God, we just, again, are humbled by who you are. Even in this 40 minutes, we know we can't unpack all of who you are and just every information and all that stuff, Lord. But you have given us your word that we can daily be fed by. And so remind us to, to allow that to lead out your word and your spirit and all that we do, Lord. And that we would not be pastored and discipled by the world, by the outside sources, that we would be led by your spirit and your word, that we would have harmony in the church, that we would love God and love others, that even those in authority above us, we would, we would know how to respect them and love them, Lord, and that we would be confident in those moments that we might not submit, that might violate what God has done and is doing in our lives, Lord. Jesus, I'm just praying for this upcoming year. Lord, there's going to be more confusion and more hurt and pain. Um, Lord, I just pray for um, just moments that we can all use and just insert you into the process of it, Lord. And it begins with us. It doesn't begin with us telling others you're wrong. It begins with us recognizing here's where I need to grow in my own walk with you, Lord. Here's where I need to submit things to your lordship. So God, be a part of that process. And um, we, we believe and we trust you in this process, Lord. It might not be our preference, but Lord, we are going to know that you are over it all and you are using all of the things to accomplish your good and pleasing will, Lord. So we declare that. We submit to that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, that was the Thanksgiving meal. And 
you were like, well, is there going to be pumpkin pie? And um, out in the lobby, there is no pumpkin pie out there. So, yeah. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> um, but, hey, just a quick reminder again, um, next week is the 22nd. We're going to give a lot of shirts out for the We Love Cheney Day. We're going to have some sign-ups to do some projects that we've kind of been working on to really bless our city. We'll give some other kind of information if you want to do stuff with just you and your family as well. And the Sunday after that, no church here, but church is everywhere. Yeah, as we just love our city and all those things. So, all right, well, God bless. Jesus loves you, and so do all of us here on staff, including Mark and Kate. They really love you. So...